Come on. I uh, love Batman. You thought I was going to say Jesus, didn't you? I love Batman. Not Christian Bale, not Michael Keaton, Adam West. Come on now. I'm talking the OG Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Zow. Pow. Bam. They were the dynamic duo. Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. And this morning, I want to change. We have the dynamic duo, and then we have the apostolic duo, Terry and Pam Davis. And I want to honor them and thank them. They're the Batman and Robin of Philadelphia. And we want to honor Pastor Paul and Kathy this morning and thank you for this house and for creating this space for us. Um, when, when Pastor Terry asked me to preach today, I was doing a little bit of math, and I realized that uh, next Sunday is that send-off Sunday. And um, the Holy Spirit really gripped my heart because um, my life, if you were paying attention to the bio, my life has been overflowing with transition for the last almost six years. And this message, as I prepared it, was one of deep conviction for me because of that. And so I want to be present to this moment, and I want to step into it with you today. Um, when I was less than two years old in the spring of 1974, my father took an Assemblies of God church in a small town called Beacon, New York, about an hour and a half north of Manhattan. And I graduated from their Christian school. My dad took the church uh, from 12 people to about 400 people. We had a Christian school. I graduated from that Christian school. I got married in that building. My children were dedicated in that building. I received a call in ministry in that building, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in that building. I learned how to lead worship in that building and play the piano and sing in that building. And I learned to write music in that building. And um, my grandparents were interred in that building. And at 45 years of age, the Lord said, leave that building. And there couldn't have been a more comfortable, blessed place than that place for me. And God sent me to the desert, a.k.a. Tulsa, Oklahoma. And if you're from Tulsa, I am not apologizing this morning. I've got receipts, friends. And uh, to talk about transition, to be here on this day. I mean, my undergraduate degree is in history. I'm very, very much interested in story and context and trajectory, and it's an honor for me to preach for you this morning. Um, this house is in a very exciting moment. I heard Pastor Terry said you all received 19 members last week. Is that, did he? That's, ready, I'll do it gently, don't worry. Like that. that was my mic drop moment. Whoa. And when I talked to Pastor Terry about what the Lord had put on my heart, uh, he wanted to make sure I knew there's a lot of calls for celebration in this house. There is. And so we want to celebrate what God is doing at High Street Worship Center. We want to step into his future for High Street Worship Center with both hope and expectation that he is a good God who does good things for his people. And because of that, I have a message that's on the sobering side. And I wasn't grateful for that little assignment from the Holy Spirit. But I want to be abundantly clear that I believe that God is our shepherd. And part of that shepherding is preparing sheep. And so I hope I'm not being precocious. I hope I'm not being presumptive to walk in the first time I'm preaching for y'all and act like I've been here. But I'm about to do that. 
so bear with me for a moment because I think when you go into transition, you have to go in with hopeful expectation, but you also have to go into it with wisdom. You have to go into it endeavoring to be mature, leaning on the testimony of Scripture. We need to discern God's will and God's voice when we go through transition. We don't want to be fools. We don't want to be naive. You remember the writer of Hebrews says, you all ought to be chewing on meat by now, but I'm having to give you milk. That was a bit of a rebuke, right? I'm not rebuking you. I'm not saying that. The point of that is to say, we don't want to be those folks. We don't want to go into something and just naively thinking, oh, this is great. And Pastor Terry is so good, man. He's wonderful. And Pam, oh my, this is, and then you're in April or May and you're like, what has just happened here? You see, we need to understand there are diverse opinions and perspectives in this room, in this house. I work for a Messianic rabbi, and he loves to tell this joke. He says, wherever you get three rabbis, you're going to have six opinions. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's pretty much the same for Christians. Whenever you get about three new church members, there's about six opinions. And everybody says, oh, yes. We need to manage our emotions in transition because there's excitement you can feel the excitement you can feel the expectation but sometimes there's fear because there's the unknown what is this gonna look like on the other side what sort of crazy person's gonna come in here there's worry and I just want to say this can we can we keep in mind that transition and this in, the transition is a piece in the move of God through the house. We have to think in terms of marathon, not a sprint. In other words, th this is not something where we're just going to flip a switch and, oh, okay, Pastor Paul, Kathy, love you, bye-bye. And we're, no, 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 no. We're all going to take a breath. Everybody take a deep breath right now. Whoo. Take a breath. And so this morning I felt like I received an assignment by the Spirit to talk us through Two examples of transition in the life of Jesus. Because we are the body of Christ. And so I want you to know that the physical body of Jesus of Nazareth went through some transitions. And we can look at that body and what that physical body experienced and glean from that. And the Spirit can speak through that to the spiritual, mystical body of Jesus in this house this morning. The first example we're going to look at is Jesus' transition from private life into public ministry after 30 years of obscurity. Excuse me, and the second transition we're going to look at is a transition into a new realm or expression of ministry that Jesus had. And so this morning, the title of my sermon is The Wild, the Wind, and the Word. The Wild, the Wind, and the word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, and we bless you for your goodness and for your faithfulness, for your mercy that is new every morning. And this morning, God, I'm pleading that mercy. I'm standing before you as your servant, and I'm asking you that you pour out grace upon grace on me so that the words that I speak would convey your heart, they would convey your mind, they would bring kingdom strategies, but they would also bring heavenly comfort and encouragement for this house as they move forward in faith and expectation. I pray that you would so anoint me and favor me so that preaching would be easy and hearing would be a delight, that you would bring us into the innermost place of the Holy of Holies, O God, that we could behold your glory, be not only transfixed but be transformed, we ask, by the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. And so I'm going to invite you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark. I picked that book because it is the best book in the Bible. And uh, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin reading at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. 
And immediately the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and the angels were serving him. Let's talk about the wild for a minute. This transition is the transition between Jesus' belovedness and kingdom proclamation. Before Jesus ever preached a word, before Jesus ever healed a body, he went to the wild. But before Jesus went to the wild, he heard a word, beloved. This is something we really need to let sit down in the deep part of who we are. We need to, in our bones, and that is we live from belovedness, not for belovedness. The Father pronounced Jesus to be beloved before he ever did any great work. This should expel, it should quench any illusion that somehow I can achieve this status by doing anything for God. I live from belovedness. And that belovedness opened up an opportunity for Jesus to go into the wild. It says here, if you look with me again at verse 12, immediately the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness. If you read Mark's gospel, pay attention to the word immediately. It's the shortest of the four gospels, and this word immediately is used over and over again to bring us a sense of urgency, a sense of intensity, a sense of movement in what Jesus is doing. And of course, each one of the Gospels is a passion narrative that is set up by a brief series of uh, small biographical snippets and teachings and accounts. But each Gospel is ultimately about the passion of Jesus. And so in Mark's case, Mark is saying, let's get to the cross. Let's get to the cross. And so everything with Mark is immediately, immediately. And it says here in this text that the Spirit, uh, I love this, is the Spirit is so polite here. You know, he brought him, it says, out into the wilderness. And that really doesn't do us any favors because the Greek word there is ekbalo, ekbalo. And if we look over, you don't have to turn there, but I'll simply read it for you. In Mark 5, in the fourth verse, Jesus comes on the shore in the region of the Gerasenes, and among the tombs there was a man with an unclean spirit. And notice this, it says that he had been bound with shackles and chains, and then Jesus cast out the, the unclean spirit. Do you remember this story? And this word for casting out is ekbalo. In other words, it is an authoritative sending. When you think of Jesus casting out a demon, do you think of Jesus as struggling to get the demon to leave? Like, please, come on, let's work a deal. Do you think it's Jesus having to yell and scream and throw a fit and convince him with threats that demon, if you don't go, we're going to get in a fight? No, Jesus has authority. And Jesus says, go, and the demon says, please have mercy. Let us go into the pigs. You remember the story. Why? Jesus, when he ekbalo, when he casts out, it's immediate because of the authority that he has. In this case of Mark 1, the spirit ekbalo Jesus. The spirit in Jesus, the spirit that descended as a dove upon him, got inside of him and moved him into the wild. And the problem that I have with this, maybe not you, that the wild is not a fun place. Come on, I've been, I don't know about you, but I've asked God for the spirit, but not for this reason. God, send your spirit. This story makes me think twice about asking God to send his spirit. I don't know that I want a spirit that brings me to a place of hunger. I don't know that I, I want him to bring me to a place where it's not easy. I don't know. Listen, Jesus was by himself in the wild. This is a place of hunger and loneliness. Uh-oh. In this moment, Jesus takes the place of Eve. 
You remember in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes not to Adam and Eve. The serpent comes to Eve. She was alone in the wild. And what's the first issue that the devil comes to Jesus with? He says, isn't it time to eat? The seed of the woman in the wild. Jesus goes into this transitional place and is offered good things in transition. Does anybody besides me think bread is a good thing? Uh, I was with a friend at Chickies and Pete's last night, and I had a chicken cheese steak, and the bread was especially good last night. There's something anointed about bread. There's a reason that our worship is centered around broken bread, because bread is a good thing. But in transition, we are faced with an enemy in the wild. That wild is the place of the enemy, and I'm here to say that transition is a time of spiritual warfare. Be alert. Be awake. Be sober. Transitions are times when the enemy wants to come in and wound people and hurt people and divide people. When you take the defense courses and, and safety courses and things like that, they'll tell you the most vulnerable time in a high-risk situation is when a client is transitioning from a vehicle to a building or so on and so forth. When a community is transitioning, especially in leadership, with a shepherding situation, this is why we want to thank God, not just for Pastor Terry, but because Pastor Paul discerned the need for Pastor Terry so that shepherding is in place because when the sheep are moving from place to place is when they're vulnerable. And here's, we're going to go a little bit deeper right here and keep moving, but here's the thing to remember. In spiritual warfare, the enemy is not going to come and offer you evil things. He's going to offer you good things. The enemy comes in and offers you bread, not poison. Times of transition are times where we go into the wild and we face an enemy who wants to talk to you about unity, wants to talk to you about growth, wants to talk to you about learning and maturity, wants to talk to you, how about this one, about miracles. The enemy will tempt us with the presence of God. What? Yes. There are times where we will covet the experience of God's presence rather than be satisfied with God himself. There are times where we will be tempted with the experience of God's presence and settle for that, not longing for God himself. We want to feel what we feel rather than be with who he is. When I tell you the enemy comes in with the good, let me, there's nobody in this house that wants the feeling more than me. I love the feeling of God's presence, and we were created to experience him. But my experience is not God. My experience will not be here tomorrow. God will. Spiritual warfare intensifies during transition, and that's why we need to remember the word in the middle of transition, you are beloved. And I'm going to bring it one step forward because of your baptism. You are not just beloved, you are in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says this about God. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did he do this? To the praise of his glory and grace with which he favored us. How do you get favored with glory and grace? You get it by virtue of the fact that you are in the Beloved. We cannot overemphasize our incorporation into Jesus. We cannot over, because then what happens is when we are in Christ as he is, so are we in the world. When we are in Christ, what is true of him is true of us. 
Paul says in another section in Galatians 3. He says, don't you know that your life is hidden with Christ in God? So when we are in transition and we are in the wild and the enemy is offering us all of the good things instead of the God things, when he's offering us the good, we have to remind ourselves we are beloved. I don't, bear with me, I'm going to stretch you for a moment here. We don't need miracles. We don't need teaching. We don't need power. We don't need, we don't, we need Jesus. Those things will follow because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. I don't need the gifts. I need God. I don't need the manifestations. I don't need the miracles. I don't need the wonders. I need God. And God knows what I need better than I know what I need. I'm so busy telling God he ought to do this and he ought to do that. His unanswered prayers are answered prayers. He knows what we have need of before we ask. Belovedness does not exempt us. It empowers us. Our belovedness is not going to give us a ticket away from challenges. Our belovedness is going to empower us to walk through the challenges with victory, to walk through the challenges with the fruit of the Spirit, to walk through the challenges embodying the person of Jesus in the earth. That's what belovedness does. Jesus was beloved, and so when it came time to go to the wild, he just said, let's go. Immediately. There's a third century father in the church named Hippolytus. And... and the men known as the patristics were mighty preachers. And when you read their writings, I can almost imagine them preaching. Now, I was cut my teeth on Bishop Jakes and Rob Parsley and Evie Hill and all the others. And so I try to imagine Hippolytus preaching this like Jakes because I think he could do it. Listen to what he says about Jesus going into the wild. This is my beloved son. Yes. None other than the one who himself becomes hungry, yet feeds countless numbers. He is my son who himself becomes weary, yet gives rest to the weary. He has no place to lay his head, yet bears up all things in his hand. He suffers, yet heals sufferings. He is beaten, yet confers liberty upon the world. He is pierced in his side, yet repairs the side of Adam. That's what's happening in the wild. Let's talk about the wind. Turn over in Mark, his gospel. We're staying there. Chapter 4 of Mark. We're going to begin reading at verse 35. Y'all with me? You all right? You smiling? Don't worry. It gets better. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. After dismissing the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a fierce gale of wind developed, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water. And yet Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is another example of transition in the life of Jesus. This was a transition to the other side. This was a transition into a new manifestation of his power. 
as when they get to the other side, they immediately face that man that we just talked about who was possessed of a demon. What's interesting is that in Mark 3, Jesus had talk about, talked about the strong man. You might remember the story. It's actually a, more of a parable where Jesus says, you must first plunder the strong man if you want to take the goods out of the house. Do you remember that? The plundering begins not in Mark 5 when Jesus casts out a demon, but in Mark 4 when Jesus calms the sea. The plundering has begun. You say, well, that's crazy talk. He just calmed the storm. Well, first of all, I don't think we can say he just calmed a storm, right? I mean, that's pretty serious when somebody stands up in a boat and says, hush, be still, and the weather cooperates. But what's very interesting about that is we find it again in verse 39. He got up, he rebuked the wind, and that word there is epitimeo, which is a verbal correction that Jesus used for demons in Luke chapter 9. So in other words, Jesus was cast into the wild, and now Jesus rebukes like he would rebuke a demon, the weather. Hmm. What we see here is that when Jesus wants to move you deeper into purpose, you're going to meet resistance. Now let's stop. We're going to pause here for a minute. I'm going to step over here to make my point with physical movement. And I'm going to say this to you. We are here to prophetically be prepared to walk through transition in joy and in hope and in expectation that God has good things for this house. And then what's going to happen is when we run into a moment when fear strikes us in that movement into those good things, we're going to remember this moment. And we're going to say God loves us enough and prepares us enough and sets us up for success in his kingdom so that we were alert and we were aware and we were vigilant in the moment. The disciples get into a boat with Jesus. Why? Because he said, let's go. Can I tell you, Jesus' invitation to go with him is not going to exempt us from storms. Jesus' invitation to move forward and deeper into purpose. Jesus' invitation to see new expressions of power, new manifestations of glory. It's not going to exempt us from a storm. If anything, it's going to throw us right into the heart of the storm. Come on, pastor. I didn't come to hear a negative sermon this morning. Are you trying to scare us this morning? No. I'm trying to get us through the fear to the other side of fear where we say, bring it. Bring the storm, because I'm with the one who knows how to sleep through storms. What we have to remember is when we meet resistance, resistance, the storm, the resistance to our progress is the condition for temptation. The resistance that you meet in the midst of transition that is when temptation enters in, and the primary temptation that you see in the wind is fear. Fear is the primary temptation in the wind. We're vulnerable in that moment to let emotion rule us. In the wild, we're vulnerable to let the enemy conquer us and in the wind we're vulnerable to let emotion rule us you see we must remember this and please write this down if you're taking notes and if you're not taking notes get an offering envelope and borrow somebody's pen or mascara or something and write this down emotions make wonderful servants but terrible masters Emotions make wonderful servants, but terrible masters. Emotions are God-given. They're part of what it means to be human. It's what separates us from animals. You know, I've never been driving down uh, 95 and seen a raccoon on the side of the road, roadkill. And a whole collection of raccoons standing around, wiping their eyes with 
tissues and patting each other on the back. You could imagine a raccoon doing this, but you've never seen it because they don't have emotion. Americans are some of the only people in the world that have psychiatrists for their pets. And they think preaching's a racket. My friend, I don't know about all that. See, what I'm saying is we should not rebuke our emotions. Very careful. We do not rebuke our emotions as if our emotions are inherently problematic. Our emotions are part of our humanness. What we do is we steward our emotions. What that means is fear is not a sin. What I do with my fear could be a sin. Anger is not a sin. What I do with my anger could be a sin. Pleasure and delight is not a sin, but what I do with feelings of pleasure and delight could be a sin. And there's something in us that wants to do everything we can to avoid all the bad feelings. When Jesus wants to master our bad feelings, not eliminate them. In other words, too much of our Christianity is geared towards escapism, of avoidance. And if maybe I hadn't thought about it, but maybe the point of this whole message is to empower you and free you up from any compulsion to avoid and to say, we're going to go right through. We're not going around. We're going through. The patristic preachers, and you'll find I, I lean heavily on, on the church fathers. They had Some of them had great names. Some of them hard to pronounce. One of them is John Chrysostom. And his, he, you know, like, he's like a rapper. Like, he's got a, a, a name, you know. And his was the golden tongue preacher. I love what he said about this. Because if you think about it, if Jesus has the power to calm the storm, why didn't he just calm the storm? Can we stop there for a minute? Have you ever thought that when you're going through a mess? God, if you're real, and God, if you've got power, why don't you just fix this? I'm going to wait for everybody in the room to at least blink at me so I know that you're not an absolute liar. Have you ever been in a rough spot and been like, God, if you're God and this thing is not all fake, I want to know how come you haven't fixed him yet? How come you haven't fixed her yet? How come you haven't fixed them yet? How come you haven't fixed the pastor yet? So what does the golden tongue preacher say? He says this. He says, he gives time for their fear by sleeping. Folk, these brothers are so deep, I can't even tell you. He gives time for their fear. Can I tell you this? That Jesus' silence is not his absence. It's just his sleeping. Jesus never left the boat. If Jesus isn't conscious to your fear, it's because he's giving you space to be conscious to your fear. You see, transition will reveal us to us. This is what I've been living for six years. I, I met a man named Mark Arstead that I never knew before. God said, get up from your country, get up from your kin, and go to an absolute horrible place named Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, I'm just, I'm teasing now. I'm just having fun with it. But you understand what I'm saying. It's in the transitions that God will reveal us to us. The disciples could have been walking high, could have been confident, could have been, we're with the hippest rabbi in all of Judea. Come on and check us out. We've got a preceding word. We've got miracles and signs and wonders. And Jesus is like, all right, let's go on the boat. Let's see where y'all at. And you know what? I'm going to take a nap and let y'all figure this out. That's what he was doing. He was sleeping to let their knees knock for a bit because the disciples had to learn not just about him but about them. When you open this book and you invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate it, you'll find out that the book reads you more than you read it. 
You see, transition reveals us to us. It doesn't just, of course it reveals God to us. That, I don't think I have to say that to anybody in the house. You're going to see God. You've already seen God in wonderful ways. Hello? 19 members received last week. You're seeing God do some things for y'all. You're seeing God say, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm working behind the scenes. Even when you don't see it, I'm working. But we have to remember that transition is going to reveal how focused are we? How good is our memory? Man, that wind starts getting a little bit high. That water starts coming in the boat. Do you remember what Jesus can do? How many parents in the house can you wave at me if you're a parent? All right. You remember what it's like when your children were trying to walk? Did you ever let them fall? I hope so. You heard about these helicopter parents, right? The ones that hover over their kids and don't let anything bad happen to their kids and da 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 da, da right? We rebuke that in Jesus' name in the house. I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean. Good parents are not parents who prevent hardship in the lives of their children. They are parents who help their children navigate hardship. Why would we think it's any different with our Father in heaven? Why would he not fall asleep on the back of the boat? If, if, if the disciples don't understand how easily their emotions will rule them, he's going to help them figure that out. And so, as John says, he gives time for their fear by sleeping. We remind ourselves what the psalmist said. And you all know this passage so well, I don't even have to ask you to turn there. I'm going to turn there because I don't trust my memory. What does the psalmist say? Even though. Everybody say, even though. In other words, this is going to happen. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Everybody say through. Huh. You're going to go, but you're not going to stay. Come on, you missed a chance to say amen right there. You said, you're going to go, but you're not going to stay. You better turn to somebody and say, he's preaching now. He's, get, he's getting ready to preach. Right? You're going to go, but you're not going to stay. I don't know where you're at right now, but if it's a bad spot, it ain't you. It's called being alive. Even though this happens, you go through the valley of the shadow of death. And I fear no evil. Here's the key word in the whole verse, for. There are people who don't fear because they're dumb. With all love and respect. They're ignorant. They don't know what they don't know, and that's why they're not afraid. Let's go back to our children. When they're little, how many times, because they just don't know, they don't have any fear? Huh. Okay? There are not, not all lack of fear is good. Some kids run out into the road because they don't have fear, and that's not a good thing. But there is a lack of fear that is a good thing, and that is an intelligent lack of fear, an informed lack of fear, an aware lack of fear. He says, I will fear no evil because, for, as a consequence of the fact that you are with me. This is what we remind ourselves when our emotions stir when fear raises its head, we don't rebuke the fear, we identify the fear, and we bring other factors into the equation. Namely, God is with me. Transition leaves us vulnerable to very natural conditions. Wind is a natural condition. Emotion is a natural condition. We don't overcome natural conditions with natural conditions. You'll notice that on the screen, you can see the wild, its nature. You can see the wind, its nature. 
But the word is a mediated thing. The word is not just hanging out there. The word is an embodied thing. The word became flesh and dwelt among men, and we beheld his glory. Part of what we don't like in this day and age is the fact that our rescue is a mediated rescue. See, in other words, you can't control that. You can't manipulate that. You see, when you're in transition, there are natural conditions that otherwise you wouldn't fear. Think about it this way. If the disciples were standing on land, same wind, same rain, are they afraid? No. But it's because they were in the process of going to the other side that conditions that otherwise would not bring fear suddenly brought it. When the body of Jesus is in movement, when the body of Jesus is moving deeper into purpose, there is a vulnerability that comes with that. Because you're going to face circumstances you otherwise might not face, and if you did, it wouldn't bother you. It's at that moment we remind ourselves what Paul said when he wrote to the Christians living in Philippi. You all know the verse. I'm going to turn there again because I don't trust my memory. But it's Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Listen to how he starts it. For I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. God is not just a starter. God's a finisher. You don't have to say something like this if everything's immediately resolved. You don't have to encourage people that God's going to finish it if it's already finished. You don't have to express confidence in God's capacity to follow through on the program he initiated unless there's something in between the beginning and the ending that causes you to scratch your head. I want to wreck the Bible for you if I can just in 35 minutes. I want you to understand verses that we read as precious promises upon closer inspection are filled with trouble. Oh, I'm confident in this very thing. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to perform. Wait, why, why, why do I have to hear this? And what's this about waiting until the day of Christ Jesus? Can he perform it? Huh? I'm here to say that God has begun a good work in this transitional season here at High Street Worship Center. And prophetic voices do not just proclaim victory, they prepare souls. And, I, I, you know, I wanted to, you know, when I told Pastor Terry what I was going to preach about it, he was like, eh, it was dead quiet on the other end of the line. He's like, Mark, you know, like, so many good things are happening. I said, yeah, I know. I know. I know. We're not taking anything away. If anything, we're looking at the good things God doing to say, get ready. Get ready. There's more where that came from. This is just the beginning of what he started to do. Do we think for a moment that the enemy is going to sit back and go, oh, well, I guess that's great. Listen, the closer you get to your purpose, the greater the resistance to that purpose will be. Pastor Paul and Kathy discerned the leading of the Spirit for them to personally transition. And by the way, if I didn't say it at the front, let me say this right now. This sermon is not a message just for the corporate body. It's a personal message for you. Because if you're not in the midst of transition, let me tell you, if you follow God, if you're faithful to Jesus, you will be in transition. You've got to remember, God never asked for a temple. He only asked for a tent. David said, how can I live in a house and God's got a tent? God said, I never asked you to build me a house. He doesn't live in anything made by hands. We serve a God who's a moving God. And that movement is there because it invites us to participation. 
It invites us to move. It creates opportunities to hear and obey and to follow. You can't follow a God that doesn't move. Jesus had two words for everybody. Follow me. That's why he's got a tent. The word became flesh and tented among us. That's what it says in John 1. I want to make sure that when you get out into the wild, the enemy doesn't take you by surprise. When that voice comes up and says, you know, this, is, this has been a lot going on. We want to, you should have some bread. You're going to recognize that good thing and rebuke it in Jesus' name. And when transition brings you out into the wind, I want to make sure your emotions are not going to take the wheel. I want you to remember that victory is assured, but it's on the other side of endurance. This is what doesn't preach. This is what doesn't preach. Nobody wants to preach the word of endurance. Everybody wants to preach the word of breakthrough. Get yourself a concordance and find out which is in the Bible more. What about the perseverance of the saints? What about he who endures to the end shall be saved? Run with endurance the race that is set before you, laying aside all the sin and every weight. What you have to remember is the word that brought you into transition is the word that you need to bring you out of transition. The word, the impulsion of the Spirit in the very person of Jesus, but more specifically, the pronouncement of Jesus' belovedness was the trigger that moved him into the wild. But what did Jesus say? Not once, not twice, but three times when he was in the wild. He said, it is written. What will get you out of the wild is the word. The very thing that got you into the wild in the first place. Oh, did you ever think about that? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We all love to quote it. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word that gets you in is the word that will get you out. It's a two-way street. It will get you in and it will get you out. We have to remember that when Mark says the word, what do we mean? The word is scripture that is illumined by the Spirit. But the word is also the proclamation. What you're experiencing right now, the proclamation empowered by the Spirit. Friends, this has nothing to do with me. This is foolishness. God chooses the foolish things of the world. At the top of the list of the foolish things are the preachers. You don't hear us say it, but that's what the Bible says. The foolish things of the world that can found the what? The Word of God is not just a Bible. The Bible becomes the Word of God when the Spirit illuminates it. The Word of God is not something you read on a page. It's something you hear in your ear when the Spirit empowers a man or woman to deliver it. But more than anything else, the Word is that beloved Son who is revealed by the Spirit. It's a text illumined. It's a proclaimed and empowered word, but it is the beloved Son revealed. And I think what it comes down to this morning is I want to make sure that somehow by the Spirit I can convince all of us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. The Word of God. I don't want you thinking about the Bible right now. In the beginning was not the Bible. In the beginning was the Word. The Bible is not God. The Trinity did not become a quartet in the third century. 
when the council decided what the canon would be. I'll say it again. The Trinity did not become a quartet. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that has come into being has come into being by him. The writer of Hebrews says this, that he upholds the universe by the power of his word. What are you facing personally? What are you facing as a community, as a corporate body? Where is God calling you? Where is God moving? That's the question of the day. Where is God going and how can I get close to him? Where is God leading? I don't want to make good choices. I want to make God choices. I don't want to settle for good when I can have God. That's the word. That's the word. What happens when God wants to get the word through you? What happens when you're that mediated person? God says there are six things. No, seven things that he hates. And one of them is that sowing of discord among brothers and sisters. Time of transition. What's the enemy going to want to do? Sow discord. We're in the wild and we know it. What will shut down discord quicker than anything else is the word. It will get you through the wild. And this is, listen to this. It says that Jesus came out of the wild in the power of the Spirit. And this is my prayer for you personally and my prayer for High Street Worship Center corporately. And that is on the other side of this transition, you're going to come out in power. You're going to come out cloaked in a mantle of the Spirit that this house has not seen before. When you get on the other side of the wind, you're going to be ready to understand that the Jesus who calmed the storm is the Jesus that casts out devils. You're going to understand that the only thing you have to fear is the maker of heaven and earth. You don't have to fear men. You don't have to fear women. You don't have to fear the economy. You don't have to feel, fear the government. You don't have to fear COVID. You don't have to fear anything other than the one who can destroy the soul. That's the one you have to fear. Those disciples, when they got out of their boat, that boat, their knees were not knocking. Their jaws had dropped. Because they saw one who had the authority to command the wind and the waves. And when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't fear because that's the one who's with you. Let's pray together.